Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Hey. Hey, we're back. And this is this is this is the time. This is the time of the fasting. Anybody doing the media fast with us? Yeah? Awesome. I actually think this is one of the best things we do. Um, feels like it hits close to home, something that is needed for us. We have a crazy, crazy life and culture surrounding media. So stepping back, it's like a revolutionary act. I don't want to like get up too much on a soapbox, but like last night we did the hot tea warm reads. Anybody there? A very good time. Thank you for coming. And I'm reading picture books, not children's books. I'm reading picture books to college students. And it is a revolutionary act in the time and place that we live in. Uh, and that is what I want to say about that. So tonight we, uh, we have the passage from Matthew about fasting when you fast. Yes, that was planned on purpose. We're going slightly out of order uh, next week. Derek, no, several weeks from now, midterm break, no service next Wednesday. A couple weeks from now, Derek will be talking about praying in secret. Uh, we have fasting. Um, I need to tell the truth, though, uh, because I told you before, tell the truth. Is Lydia here? I don't, she's not here. Lydia, I'm telling you the truth over this recording. I told you I would make a goal to get 30,000 words of your book read by now, and I have not done it. In fact, I have read zero words of 30,000, and I said I would do it. So. I tell the truth, and I am sorry, and thank you for shaming me. Wow. What a Christian community. <laughs> tell the truth. You are sh- <laughs> Actually, I just got a coin thrown at me from Esther. She's in my small group, uh, which shout out to Desert Poetry, my small group. Lightyear, you here? Is he here? He's not here. Bryce, not here. Emma, Ella, Conrad, Kaylee, E-Wolf. Esther, Polly, McKay, Hannah, 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 Robert, and of course, Leanne. Shout out to my small group specifically because uh, you may or may not, a lot of this sermon is actually just our discussion from Monday night. I had the Monday night lesson going around in my head, and I had the fasting thing going around in my head, and then I was, as we were talking, I was like, oh, these like go together. I don't know if they're actually going to come together. We'll find out over the course of this sermon, but it was making sense to me. I felt inspired, so I went for it. So here we go. This is the best time to plant a tree, or smile, you'll fool them, or now is incisive observation hour, or fasting is feasting, or this one is for Hannah Simons, who just blurted it out as we were talking in my office today. Check your heart! <laughs> Apparently that's a, that's a reference to something. Um, check your heart. Okay. Matthew chapter 6. When you fast, I am so stuffed, I can barely make it past the first three words. When you fast, do I fast? Does anybody here make a regular habit of fasting? My life is almost entirely a life of feasting. I eat whenever I want. And too much, I sit down, I put my feet up and relax when I feel like it. I watch movies or I stream something just on a whim and daily. 
the word that fasting is meant to inject into my vocabulary, the word enough, uh, remains largely foreign to me, if I'm being honest. So I read these first three words, and I feel like I have to interrupt and speak up and say, Jesus, wait a second, I think maybe you're assuming something about me that's not true. I spend most of my time indulging what I want, when I want it. I don't know that I'm really fasting. Fasting is a discipline that God wants to use to lead me and you to a life of self-control, which is saying no to things that I want but that aren't good for me, and of self-discipline, which is saying yes to things that I don't want but that are good for me. Fasting wants to do that, and I often just want to say yes to what I want and no to what I don't want to state the obvious naturally, right? Like our way of life here just finds fasting very weird. Um, does anybody, like, did anybody grow up in churches that made regular practices of fasting? Some of you? Belzer, Esther, your dad fasts more days than he doesn't. Um, I just, I grew up in a Pentecostal church that we were like full of the spirit and empty of nothing. So don't tell me to fast. We were all feasting, no fasting, all Christmas, no Advent, all Easter, no Lent. The result, I am very full. And yet somehow it's not enough. I am unsatisfied. We are very full. Henry Nouwen made the incredibly incisive observation that we people, we who live in this technological, noisy, competitive world, we are filled and yet also very unfulfilled. Filled, unfulfilled. We are occupied with something all the time. We've always got things. We don't like space. We don't like nothing. We're even preoccupied, he said. We fill our time and place long before we're even there. Before something is even there in front of me, I am filling my mind and my time with it. I think about uh, Kool-Aid, your fiance, who gave, good Lord, the most incredible spring break talk I've ever heard in my life this past year, if you were there. And he talked about how he just spent so much of his life planning his whole life constantly preoccupied with everything that he had to do and achieve and go, 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 go. I love him. But if you were there, you remember it's a good example. And that is the way that we live our lives, stuffed to the gills, never really satisfied. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking to people who just like maybe I'm speaking gibberish and you don't know. But like what I see is that we have planners that are packed full, are packed full planners from our invocation, full of things to do. We have pantries full of food to eat. We have long friends lists of people to connect with. We have Netflix slash Spotify slash podcast cues beyond what we could ever take in. And yet we are also bored and anxious and depressed and aimless much of the time. Does anybody feel that? Derek feels it. I know he does. That's like what's going to be on his tombstone. Does anybody else feel this, or am I just a crotchety old man? Okay. (laughs) 
I just wonder how I look with this on right now. <laughs> Nowen wrote this. He said, while our minds and hearts are filled with many things, and we wonder how we can live up to the expectations imposed upon us by ourselves and others, we have a deep sense of unfulfillment. While busy with and worried about many things, we seldom feel truly satisfied at peace or at home. A gnawing sense of being unfulfilled underlies our filled lives. I'm just going to go on a limb and say that the relationship between filled and unfulfilled is not correlation, but causation. Paradoxically, we are unfilled precisely because we are so filled. It seems that what we are gorging on is not sustaining us. It is diminishing us, in fact. Filled, we are empty. Man does not live by bread alone, indeed. We need a break. It reminds me of this passage about these plants that we were talking about in small group on Monday night. Jeremiah 17, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. What does it look like to draw strength from mere flesh? And what does it have to do with fasting? What if I say it this way? What does it look like to live on bread alone? Man does not live on bread alone. What does it look like to live on bread alone? And maybe, if I think about this, uh, maybe my life is and has been an indication of what that's like. My screen time, hours a day, staying on top of all manner of sports and stats and news and entertainment, using social media to dwell on the lives of those both around me and not. My desires, uh, mostly just matters of acquisition, more books, more games, more clothes, more furniture, more trips. My thoughts are consumed with achievement. How many likes did this comment Get, what will this pop quiz do to my GPA? Where will I put this club officer position on my resume? What will it say about me if I lose this game or get beat on this point? All of these things going around, so filled, so dwelling on those things. Because what if the answer to the question, all of those things, yes, you got it, you did it all, you got the 100,000%, you won every point, and you got everything, and you, did, oh, oh, you trusted in mere flesh, what then? I think this is what it looks like to draw strength from mere flesh. And hear me, people, hear me. I don't say this like, to make us feel bad because God knows it is hard to be a creature of flesh in this world and not trust in flesh. It's what we know, after all. It's what we can see and taste and see, and I already said see, but we really can see it and hear and feel, right? Frederick Buechner, I thought I was going to make it through a whole sermon without talking about him, but I couldn't do it. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but he doesn't live very long without it either. Too true, Freddie. Too true. And God knows there's nothing wrong with YouTube and football and grades and jobs and movies and friends and all the rest. The question is maybe when it comes to the words like confidence, and trust, these Bible words. Where do we firmly seat confidence and trust? Really uncomfortable thing for me is how do we know, too? We can deceive ourselves about those. It's hard to describe exactly what it's like to put our trust or our faith in these good fleshly things. 
that, by the way, will in the end, ultimately, they're going to fade and decay and break down and go away and become lost. It's hard to describe what it's like or what it means or looks like to put our confidence in those things, but I think if we're honest, like it's, it's, it's easy enough to recognize in ourselves when we see it, like we know when we're doing it. And maybe the better question for us, or the next question, the deeper question is, how is it working out for us? Is it, is it working for us when we put our trust in them? When I put my life in the hands of this achievement or that thing or this entertainment or this whatever, if I put my, hand, my life in those hands and I expect it to make us more, is it working out? Jeremiah says, no, it's not working. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert and the salt land where no one lives. And so the result of a life surrounded by noisy crowds and full of things catching my attention is, ironically, blindness and loneliness. I am so busy. This, this, he will not see prosperity when it comes. I'm so busy trusting in mere, what mere flesh, all this other stuff I'm filling myself with. I'm so busy trusting in that and what it can give me. I'm so consumed with just keeping up with everything and having everything that when what is truly good does pop up in front of me, always as a gift, by the way, keep your eyes peeled. When it does pop up in front of me, I don't see it. I don't see it when it comes. I push the image of my boys bouncing on the trampoline out of sight because I'm obsessing over why Josh Allen's quarterback rating was higher than Patrick Mahomes this week. I miss the wisdom in what someone is telling me because I am worrying about whether what I've said will be admired. I overlook the opportunity to serve because I'm working on my season rank or my GPA or maybe I'm just wasting away in front of YouTube. The real good comes and I miss it. I dwell alone in a place where nothing thrives, blindness, isolation, hello screen addictions. But blessed, here's a beatitude for you. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. He doesn't fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. There's this tree, this one, this one who puts their hope in the Lord, does not fear, always green, no worries, never fails. It's like, who doesn't want a life like that, right? Never-ending fresh water, right? If I'm not careful, it starts to sound like a sales pitch. And if we're not careful, it can paint a picture that some of us already believe, that some of us, uh, there, are, there are some of us that are, who, who've just got lives that are like, consistently, spontaneously overflowing with insane intimacy with God. Well, they're super Christian, and they know they're just always by the streams of water, always peaceful. They're spiritually winning all the time. Like, there are those people, and Christianity is just so easy for the stream folks. And we think we know who that is or what that's like, and we wonder, can that ever be me? <clears throat> Let me tell you a story. In Israel, this summer... One day we're walking through this canyon in the wilderness. There's Leanne, bottom left, with her 
cool sun hat, uh, and backpack. We're walking through this wilderness, and it was very hot, okay? Like Middle East desert hot. The thermometer, you know, from the weather station, 109 degrees, but that's just for starters, because who knows what the temperature was. Like, we're walking for miles in this canyon, uh, and with the heat just, like, radiating off of these baking stone walls, like, right next to your face as you're walking by them for miles. The kind of hot that you just feel, like, pulsing in your ears and, like, throbbing behind your eyes when you're just, you, if you move too fast, you know, and you're just, like, sapped. And drinking gallons of water, which I did, didn't help because the water was warm, too, and it only meant that I was able to sweat enough to turn my uh, sky blue shirt into this lovely shade of navy. So we're walking along, and it is, like, hot, real hot. And we pull up alongside this big bush. And it's like, this is not the actual one. We actually, I couldn't find a good picture of the one that we pulled up next to, but this bush. And the one we rode next to, probably seven feet high at least, like Marty Solomon, who's pretty big, like 6'3"-ish, like he's standing next to it, and it's like coming up over his head. We come upon uh, this bush, looking just like it came straight out of the Hawaiian rainforest. And this lush fruit just looking absolutely fit to burst. And Marty pulled one off, and he held it up, and he quoted this passage. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence in, is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And he held up the fruit and he's like, who wants it? And we're all just like, uh, I want it. Drooling at this gorgeous green beacon of hope like sunflowers just involuntarily bending towards it. You can like taste the juice already because you come up and this is what you want in the desert, like rainforest bush in the desert. This is the one, the master of all things Christian, full of the spirit, look at the fruit. And then Marty says, the problem is this is the first tree. This is the cursed one. Arar is what it's called, an arar bush happens to be the Hebrew word that's there in verse 6. He will be like an arar in the wastelands. And Marty took the fruit, and he cracked it open, and he showed us this. That's what all the fruit is like. There's fruit. There's nothing in it. It's like, it's actually just a nest of cobwebs. That's what it looks like. And in fact, the juice that's inside it is poisonous, and like the worst poison ivy you can imagine, Derek, it will make you break out in a terrible rash, so you gotta be careful not to get it on your skin. This is the cursed one. The one that you're like, oh, that's it. That's got it together. That's what I want. That's got the fruit. Nope, that's the wrong one. The blessed tree, Marty told us, which we also walked by one of these, is this one. An acacia tree. <laughs> Tumbleweeds stuck on a log. <laughs> not especially pretty. 
not really vibrant. When we imagine cursed and blessed lives, we tend to imagine and focus on the wrong things. Here is this lush, vibrant bush with succulent fruit dripping from under the leaves. It has it all together. It gives godly advice and makes friends easily at events and knows lots of things about the Bible. That's the blessed one. Mm, the lesson of Jeremiah and the Arar is that, man, it is totally possible to look like something abundant and attractive and just be nothing but dust on the inside. Consider the acacia, which is very possibly what Jeremiah had in mind when he spoke about the one who put their confidence in the Lord. How do we become like this? What makes the acacia special is the roots. It's got roots that grow down deep. Yes, it's planted by streams, says Jeremiah, but you want to know something? You want to know something about streams? Look at this picture. What do you notice about that picture? No stream. Where's the water? There is no water. Because that's the thing about streams in the desert is that streams usually aren't streams in the desert. They're not there most of the time. There are seasons, brief seasons each year, the rainy season, where the rains come up and the streams pop up. But most of the time, these roots by the streams are actually just roots by dry ground. And then you'll get a month where this actually becomes like a riverbed. But most of the time, it's, it's not. It's dry. And so what that means is, for those of us who would trust in the Lord and who would try our earnest best to be rooted in him and not trusting in mere flesh, that it's, and like you want to do the fasting and you want to do the prayer, it, it, it means that there are still going to be times, many times, when, the th when things just are dry anyway. It's not like this magic spell that you cast and you start praying and you start fasting and suddenly it's like, oh. Roots have to grow deep and they grow slowly and silently and underground, deep down to extract what we can from what's there, and giving and prayer and fasting. And when the blessing of the rain and the stream comes, when God like really pours it on us, so to speak, when it comes where it's like everywhere we look, we can only see the happy presence of God, that will be a blessing to us for sure. And there are seasons like that, and it will help sustain us. But the rest of the time, our roots have to be going deep enough so that we can still be sustained, so that we don't worry in a year of drought or when the heat comes. In small group on Monday, shout out Conrad. Conrad pointed out, there is something invisible, hidden, about each of these plants. The secret of the Arar is that the fruit is empty and poisonous. It looks great, but it's dead. The secret of the acacia is that its roots go deep enough. That's what's hidden. What's hidden in the Arar is the inside of the fruit. What's hidden in the acacia is where, sorry, the fruit and what's hidden in the acacia is where the roots go down. It looks haggard, but it's impossible to kill because it is rooted. So in a week of fasting, let me just encourage us with this. Faithfulness does not equal attractiveness. 
there are going to be times when we are doing our earnest best to seek the Lord, to fast, to pray in secret, like Jesus says, and we're going to look like tumbleweeds stuck on logs. Yes, that tree, it never bears to, fails to bear fruit, but hear what this doesn't say. This doesn't say that it's just continuously bursting forth with, with war, <laughs> bursting forth with beautiful fruit all the time. It means that the bud is there, the potential is there waiting to blossom, but sometimes maybe even often is dormant because uh, it has, but it has a root system that goes down and that means that despite appearances, it's healthy, it's solid, it's alive. And maybe for some of us, we go through long periods of time with that feeling. The important thing is little by little, we keep sending our roots toward the stream, there is much that we don't see. God sees it all, which is why Jeremiah goes two verses later to say this. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And this is starting to sound like something that I've heard before. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So spruce up your little tumbleweeds. You don't have to go around looking gloomy intentionally so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Does anybody else kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, like think that's kind of a little, little weird, like if you get like a star chart kind of idea in your head? We're fasting this week. This is well known. I mean, it's not entirely secret because we're all doing it, and I asked you to raise your hand. But we don't do it to be like this Hawaiian rainforest bush so that everybody can see how great we are. And we also don't do it for rewards like a star chart because it's not like this. It's not like, oh, if I get seven stars on the chart for fasting every day in a week, then God will reward me with one God buck. And then maybe next week I'll get another God buck, and that's my reward. And then eventually I can cash it in for a God prize of some sort. <laughs> the reward's not like that. The reward of fasting in secret and praying in secret and giving in secret is the rootedness that happens there. A rootedness in God that actually does enable us to survive the heat and the drought because those things are coming. Like, let me just tell you, Things won't make sense. Life won't pan out the way that you planned. Things won't always be perfectly suited to your comfort and your pleasure. And the strategy of, that we often take when those times come of constantly filling our lives with more and more and more and more and more and don't think about it, don't think about it, and just get the cool thing, and then that'll wear off by the time the package gets here, but that's okay because I can order another one that'll be here in two days, and when that gets here, everything's going to be fine, but no, it's not, so I'm going to order another one, and then I'll just look at the things that I can't actually buy, but it'll make me feel good just to look at them, and I'll just imagine this life that I don't have. That doesn't get you anywhere. That doesn't sustain you. It doesn't fill you. We know this. Some of us feel a struggle when I talk about this, and maybe even a kind of guilt that's like, oh, well, I'm just the first plant. I'm, I'm the first bush. I just trust in mere flesh, and I'm not the second one. Like me, you do what you want. 
you do it too much, and maybe you feel little or no hope that you could actually be this other thing. Like, I'm just always going to be the cursed thing. God is cursing me, and I just, that you feel guilt about that. Friends, this verse is not a condemnation. God is not cursing in this verse. God's not cursing. God is just saying that this way is cursed. It's a cursed way. Like, you can have it all. You can do it all. You can eat it all. And it will only produce cobweb fruit. And God is, that's what he's, he's, he's just giving us the inside scoop on that. It's a cursed way to go. Jeremiah offers uh, a picture of the life that God holds out for us, though, and is always holding out for us. Yes, we've trusted in mere flesh, but we can be changed. We can be grown into people who trust in God. This verse is an invitation to just recognize it when we don't, when we, when we do trust in mere flesh and, flesh, and then to start trusting. God doesn't need perfection. He doesn't need skill. He just needs a seed that is willing to fall to the ground. And that's something that fasting and these other secret things can pave the way for. So, here's what I have to say. Does anybody know the best time to plant a tree? Five years ago. Five years ago. 20 years ago. That's the best time to plant a tree. Does anybody know the second best time to plant a tree? Today. Today is the second best time. Tomorrow is the third best time. God is always breaking the ground, I think. I think God is always breaking it. He's going before us, and he's plowing up the field, and he's always wanting to sow. And he's wanting to plant us into a soil, into a kingdom, where in order to get anywhere, you just got to stop. That's all you got to do, just stop. In order to receive, you just give. You don't have to get, you don't have to acquire it. In order to receive, you give. In order to hear something real, you just have to listen to silence. And in order to feast, you just got to stop stuffing yourself. Empty, we are filled. Participate in the little things. Done in consistent and quiet and faithful ways. Fasting is one. Praying is another. Giving, there are many. And God grows us there. He uses that, and he will give us a fullness that will last when there is no food. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And now, may we be fed by the food that God gives. And may we put our confidence in the Lord. And tumbleweed logs that we are, may God grow our roots deep despite our many failings. And may we be empty and fulfilled. Let's pray. We're not waving a a magic wand when we fast, Lord. We don't control you. We're not twisting your arm. Uh, we are we're trying to be rooted. We're trying to set our roots toward the stream that is life in you. And Lord, we give thanks that you are always, always there, ready to receive us, 
And we thank you just for the grace of things like fasting that you offer to us as a way to discover you, as a way to become who you are calling us to be. Would you give us eyes to see just the silly, foolish ways, the cursed ways that we're running around down here? Uh, we don't need to, to make ourselves look gloomy when we fast because we're not really gloomy. We're actually getting closer to the heart of things. Uh, we're trying to follow you, Jesus. When you said if anybody would find their life, they have to lose it. So we're trying to lose some things to find you. And I'm just asking, would you please speak? Maybe this could be a time where the stream pops up. Amen. <laughs>